Would you let me lead us in a word of prayer, please, and as we go now to the word. Lord, all is vain, the old song says, all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. Thank you for the sense of your presence and the worship. Thank you that you have proven to us once again that you sit enthroned on shouts of praise. We bless you that you are here, that you are strong, that you are more than capable, that you are wise, that you are loving, that you are merciful, that you are forgiving, that you are the one who delivers You are the one who restores. You are the one who keeps. Your name is Jesus. Your name is Jesus. The name like unto which there is no other. All authority has been given unto you in heaven and on earth. And we bless your mighty name. We praise your wonderful name. Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, our Shepherd, Jesus, our Master, Jesus, our King, Jesus. And Lord, we ask you now to please be our teacher. We ask you to help us to understand some things that are important and they're clear in your word, but Lord, we need it to drop 18 inches. We need it to go from our heads, the hearing of our ears, into the understanding and the appreciation in our hearts. Speak to our hearts this day, Lord, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening power, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You could probably all say this verse with me, John chapter 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life, would not perish but would have everlasting life. That's an old English word, would would have unending life, would have inexhaustible life. But the word for life is not just biological life. It's not just the heart pumping. It's not just social life, convening, reacting to, participating in conversation with other folks. It's more than biological life. It's more than social life. It's a dimension of living spiritually. The power to live forever spiritually that only comes from God himself. That's why Paul would say we're all dead in our trespasses and in our sins. We still can think. We still can talk. We still can move But there is a part of us that is dead, that is dead because of sin in us. 
But when Jesus Christ comes into our hearts as our Savior and as our Lord, we receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord, there is a part of you that has never lived that comes to life. That's why it's said that we're a, a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things passed away and new things have come. Amen. Amen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him, in Jesus, that one would not perish but would have unending life. Now, folks, there's, there's, there's more to that than meets the eye, I'm here to tell you. There's more to that than meets the eye. It's more than the message of the cross. It's more than the power of the blood of Jesus, though that is an inescapably wonderful message and gift to the human race. That Jesus, when he didn't have to, when he had done nothing wrong, when he had never lied, cheated, stolen, never done anything wrong, he took upon himself your wrong and my wrong. He became the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How does he do that? Because he dies in your place and in my place for my sin, for your sin. But he died, he was buried, and he was raised again. He was raised again. That, that meant, that meant, folks, and this is very important, it was a legal transaction. It was a spiritual legal transaction. The wages of sin are death. If Jesus took our sins in his body when he was hanging on that cross, he had to go all the way to literal death in order to pay the legal price for your sin and mine. The wages of sin is death. So Jesus did exactly that. He wasn't just hung on a cross, but he died a human's death. And the fact that he was raised on Easter Sunday we need to know this. We need to celebrate this. The fact that the tomb was empty and Jesus was brought back to life is proof, is legal proof. As far as the kingdom of God and the laws of his kingdom operate, the fact that Jesus is alive is proof that you have been forgiven. That there is no longer a debt between you and God. If you put your trust in what Jesus did for you on the cross, it means that you're free, that you're forgiven. And the fact that he was raised again on the third day is proof of that. Now that's awesome. And that's what causes us to be called a child of God. Whoever receives Jesus is the one who is called the child of God, John 1, 12, the children of God. But I'm here to tell you, there's more good coming. There's more awesome that God has in mind. 
He loves you enough to have sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. But he loves us enough for that not to be the end of the story. I want you to find your way in your Bible, or one you can look on easily this morning, to the book of Acts. Go to the book of Acts and chapter 2. And Peter the fisherman, who has just recently been filled with the Holy Spirit of the living Jesus, no longer the coward, no longer hesitant, no longer looking for a way out to not be identified with Jesus. Now that has changed because the Spirit of Jesus has come to take possession of him. And for 40 days before Peter opens his mouth on the day of Pentecost and all those people were listening, and by the way, the other 119 were also opening their mouths and were also giving witness of Jesus. It wasn't, Simon Peter was just one of the preachers, but there were women preaching, there were men preaching, they were older, they were younger, they were preaching. And they were, we use the word preaching, but they were just bearing witness of what they knew to be true about Jesus of what Jesus Christ had done for them, about what, how he had died, he was buried, but they saw him alive. They knew he was raised from the dead, which proved that everything he said was true. Everything that he declared and made a promise about all had merit, was valid, because he was alive from the grave. But Simon Peter was the one who seemed to evidently have the largest group around him. And he spoke what had been taught by Jesus, by the resurrected Jesus, for those 40 days after he was raised from the dead. We find that in Acts chapter 1. Jesus called this select group together, and for 40 days he taught, and there was one subject, and the subject was the kingdom of God. And as we've said, like a broken record around here, you can't have a kingdom unless you have a king. The kingdom is where the king rules. And so Jesus is saying, teaching all this about the kingdom, but then he says, here's the introduction into the kingdom. Here is the power of the kingdom. Here is the way the kingdom, my rule and reign in your heart is going to work. It is that the spirit, my spirit, will be poured out upon you. And as my spirit is poured out upon you, you're going to have power, my power, working inside you. It won't just be you trying to copy me. It won't just be you trying to remember what I said. It will be me literally, actually, but invisibly inside your visible body and out through you, my life will be expressed. Amen. Preach it, preach it. Okay? That was the, the teaching, the subject, the essence more than likely of Jesus' teaching for those 40 days. Well, well, when the crowd gathers, the sound pours out, the, the rushing mighty wind and the tongues of fire, all of the crowd gathers, what is this, what is this? Simon Peter stands up and he begins to tell them, here is what that is. He had been taught by Jesus. They had been explained to them that this is the fulfillment of Joel chapter 2, the prophecy that was hundreds of years old, that there would come a day when God would from heaven pour out his spirit upon all flesh, men, women, older, younger, 
and that there would be this prophesying that would be going on, that there would be this, this energized declaration of who God is and the greatness of God and what his plan and purpose would be on this earth. Peter's saying, this is what that prophesied to be, that the, the Spirit has been poured out upon us, and that's why we're saying what we're saying and doing what we're doing. But then you come on down to, in chapter 2, verse 32, and I want you to look at this, please. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. This is still Simon Peter's message. This is what he's declaring. This Jesus, God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Look at it again. Having been exalted to the right hand of God. Who has been exalted to the right hand of God? Jesus, who has been raised from the dead, but he's now been exalted to the right hand of God, and he has received from the Father the promise of the Spirit. Jesus receives from the Father the promise of the Spirit. And it is Jesus now, Peter says, who is pouring forth this which you both see and hear. Pouring forth this which you both see and hear. Now I want you to hold your place in Acts chapter 2 and I want you to find the last book in the Bible. Right before you get to the maps and the concordance and all the other things, the book of the Revelation. I want you to notice this. Do you notice what John, one of the twelve, records as a vision that he is having of Jesus. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Remember, this is, this is a vision. This is an apocalyptic vision. So there are lots of symbols. There are lots of things that, that have to be interpreted that some we still don't know all of what they mean. But one day, we will have understanding. So try to look past these symbols, but get at what he's saying that he sees. Having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstand, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were like burnished bronze when it's been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Oh, and I go back to Acts chapter 2. Something happened 
something happened between the time that Jesus was taken up after the 40 days following his resurrection and he was speaking to those that he had gathered around him. But during the 10 days from the 40 days that they spent to the day of Pentecost, which would be 50 days after Passover, that's how we come up with the 10 days. During that 10-day period, there were some things happening, not just on this earth, but happening in the spirit realm as well. That Jesus the Christ, when he ascended back up into heaven, they all saw him go, and the two angels, remember that in Acts chapter 1, said, why are you looking? Why are you in despair? The one whom you've seen taken up into heaven will come back exactly the way you see, you've seen him go. And so they went to the place of prayer, and during those 10 days, they were seeking the Lord and looking to the Lord, but something else was happening, folks, in this spirit realm. And it was that somewhere during that time, there was a reassigning of, reallocating of all the divine attributes, all the power, all the command authority, all the essence of who Jesus Christ was before Bethlehem that he emptied himself of when he took upon himself the form of a human. And even to the point of dying the cruel death on a cross. For the purpose of meeting the requirement of human blood being poured out for your sin and my sin, there had to be a man a real man with real blood, for without the shedding of blood, the Scripture says there is no remission for sin. Jesus didn't come just to teach. Jesus didn't come primarily to set a moral example. Jesus came out of heaven primarily to die, to die. His blood was poured out, sacrificing himself to satisfy the law of God against us. But when he was raised from the dead, and this short period of time before he is exalted to the right hand of the Father, he, he teaches on the subject of the kingdom and gets the, the leadership ready for what was going to come. But folks, at the time that he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he was no longer a crucified man. He was no longer a beaten down man. He was no longer somebody who could be easily ignored or easily rejected. He was God, the very God. And when you, when you, when you read that account of John's looking upon Jesus on the Isle of Patmos when he, John had been, had been ex, exiled for his stand for Christ, who Jesus looks like now appeared to him. And John said, when I saw him, I fell on my face as a dead man. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His voice was like a thousand Niagara Falls. And when I saw his face, his face looked like the sun shining in its strength. What do you think was going on when Saul was on his way to Damascus? 
And it says all of a sudden, a light out of heaven appeared. It wasn't the sun, S-U-N. It was the sun, S-O-N. Face shining in its strength. And what, did, what happened to, Paul, to Saul? It says that he fell on his face. Listen. Listen. Here's where I'm going with this. There's no way. There's no way you can say, I know what it is to be filled with the Spirit. I know what it is to have the life of God living in me. And you not think, not be able to register that anything significant has happened to you. Some folks say, well, I've I've received Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I know if I die, I'll go to heaven. Well, amen. But what about the promise of the Father? What about when this one who has been raised to the right hand of the Father, getting the promise of the Father And he pours something out. The one who stepped out on the dark in the dark universe, stepped out on nothing and looked into nothing and said, Let there be, and everything turned on. You think that one pours himself out into you and you don't know it? You don't feel it? You don't have a registry? Come on! Come on! Come on. That's why, that's why this, is, this is a little dangerous treading sometimes with church folks because we read these things and we hear these things. And you say, you mean it could be something that I've missed out on the 45 years I've been going to church every Sunday? Uh-huh. Yeah. If, if, if I'm thinking that the king of all glory, the Christ, reclothed with all of his authority, invested with everything he had before he emptied himself and became a human baby. That that God, that that being could take out of his heart and pour something out and you wouldn't even know if it happened. That's what, that's why Peter says here, Let me see what he says. This Jesus God raised up, verse 32, again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. There was a sound like a rushing mighty wind. There were tongues of fire that came down upon them. That may never have to be repeated again. But Jesus said, here's the evidence. (laughs) Here's how you know that the promise of the Father has happened. Here's how you know that the Spirit has been poured out. Power will invade your weak, scared, inconsistent, needy heart. My power, my strength, my authority, my knowing, my power will invade you. We, We got the... That story, and, and, then, and then, we, then we can figure out and see how mousy and how afraid and how timid we are many times. But they say, I know I'm going to heaven. I've received Jesus as Savior and Lord. I, I know if I died, I'd go to heaven. 
That's why Peter says you need the promise of the Father. Now, again, don't check out on me. Some of you say, well, he's, go- he's getting a- going off the deep end. He's going off the deep end. He's about to say something. He Here's what I'm going to say. If, if, if it, if, listen to him. If it isn't in here, if it isn't in here, if it isn't in here, we better be careful about building our whole doctrine, our whole theology on something that you can't prove is consistently here. But if it is there, <laughs> if it is there, and we're the true church of Jesus, if it is there, if we're the true followers of Jesus, if it is there, then Lord, bring it, bring it, bring it, bring it. Okay, keep going with me. Don't, don't, be, don't, be, don't be too encouraging. We'll be here till dark. My, my kids will say, my kids will say, the only thing, well, it's not the only thing, but one thing for sure is if dad gets to go on the Holy Spirit, we're going to be there for a while. And they grew up in this place and they understand, but you just, we just can't oversay it. Now, look at, look at verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain, Peter continues, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Verse 38, they cried out, brethren, What shall we do? They were convicted of that truth, that they had participated in the crucifixion of the Messiah. Peter said to them, repent, repent. In other words, on the basis of what you now know, change your mind and change your action on the basis of what you now know. It's it's new knowledge that is tied to something that was convinced was true, you were convinced were true in the past, but now there's fresh evidence. And so the conclusion is different. Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we've got, got some English majors, got, got, some, got some grammarians in the, in the audience this morning. I, I want to just show you something here. Sometimes we've gotten, this verse can, can get you know, get folks confused. Well, it means that I have to be baptized in order to be forgiven of my sins. Notice how the grammar works. It's in the Greek language, there will be, there will be words that, that will have precise and specific definitions and applications because the language is so precise. Repent is you plural repent. All right. You plural repent. Understood, but the the ending of the verb indicates that it's you plural, even though the you with a plural isn't there. That's what it is. Repent, and then you have to go past, let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus to find the, the the next plural. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the next plural. And the, and the way we're supposed to do it in proper construction of grammar, and this, again, this was, this was in Greek, and we have to translate it into English. We have to arrange it in ways that make sense. It could very easily and accurately read, repent for the forgiveness of your sins. You, plural, repent for the forgiveness of your, plural, sins, and then watch this, and let each of you, singular, singular you, Let each of you be baptized, singular verb, in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Now that just sort of helps to clarify some things. We get that sometimes the way it is printed in English. We, we have to think, well, that sounds like a contradiction of grace and works, that I need to do the work of baptism in order to get myself forgiven. And that's not what it's saying. Repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus says in Luke 24, repentance for the forgiveness of sins shall be preached in my name. This is consistent with that. But then look what it goes on to say. After you've repented, been baptized, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call unto himself. Repent and be baptized on the basis of what you now know about this Jesus of Nazareth and his death, burial, and resurrection. But here's the rest of it. The Father has made a promise, and the Father has made a promise to you, no matter how far off you are, no matter how far away, or who you, or how many generations you're concerned about. The Father's made a promise. The Father has promised you something. Well, what is it? What have you promised, Father? My promise is that I desire to fill you up with the spirit of my Savior Son who is now exalted, who now has all authority, who has all power to fill you up with Jesus. Not just to rescue you, not just to bring you into the family, but to fill you with the power and the life of my Son. That's the promise of the Father. Jesus was able to receive from the Father the right to deliver the promise because he had satisfied all the claims of the law necessary in order for the ones purchased by his blood to be forgiven. Now that he's done that, listen, and on the cross, what did Jesus say? His last words, it is finished. In other words, the debt, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a, uh, an accounting word, tetelestai, the debt is paid. Debt is paid. The debt is paid and he died. The debt is paid and he died. The father heard the word, recognized the truth of it. The debt is paid. Arise, my love, on Easter Sunday morning. But there's more to it than getting your sins forgiven. There's more to it. There's more in his heart. There's more of him that he wants you to know. And that's summed up in this word, the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. So if they're, they're, they put, they're put in a synonym fashion. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise, which is the gift of the Spirit, being poured out upon folks. That is the promise of the Father. Okay, now... How good are you feeling about your faith right now? I mean, how, how good are you feeling? We, all, we, all kind of, we got that down. Let's, I'm, this next part may, may rattle a little cage here or there, but let's, let's just turn over to the, to the book of, well, stay in the book of Acts and go to chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We say we believe the Bible, believe every word of it. Amen. Yes, sir. Thank you, Lord. We do. So here we find Philip, one of the deacons in Samaria. 
preaching in Samaria, which was, which was an amazing thing in and of itself because the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews and the Jews culturally would, culturally would position Samaritans, they considered them half-breeds and, and uh, traitors and all kinds of things, irreligious, riffraff, they would put the, the Samaritans, you, you know, you got, you got this pecking order, food chain, and the last on the list underneath dogs would be Samaritans. But when Jesus said, and it had to have been a stunning statement in some ways, though he had exhibited this, the truth of this in his own life, the woman at the well and other, other places where he, he spent time with Samaritans, but he said, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and even in the remotest part of the earth. Now look, don't ever pray for the Spirit of Jesus to fill you if you want to stay prejudiced. If, if, you, if, you, if you're bound up in this castle of prejudicial judgments and ethnic attitudes, then you are wasting your breath to pray, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Back to the first verse. For God so loved the world. Whole world, all world, unrepentant world, unchanged world, the world as it is, as it was at that time. Jesus came because of the love of the Father for the whole world, including Samaria. So here's Philip. Verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began Proclaiming Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip. Now Philip was picked as a deacon because he was known to have been filled with the Spirit. That was one of the characteristics of a deacon or a servant in that sense. A man of wisdom, good reputation, but full of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. All the multitudes with one accord giving attention to what was being said by as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was much rejoicing in the city. Now, there was a certain man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were given attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic works. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. And even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now watch this. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Now what would that be? Receive the word of God regarding who Jesus is, what Jesus did on the cross, the fact that he is alive from the dead, raised from the dead, that he is the Messiah. When they heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John. Huh. Why? Who came down 
and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Hmm. Now, nowhere in this chapter does it say that the experience of the Samaritans matched the experience of the 120 speaking with other languages on the day of Pentecost. Nowhere does it say even about the 3,000 that were baptized and were being taught by the apostles and so forth that any of them had the duplicate experience of the 120 on the day of Pentecost. They could have, they might have, but folks, you're arguing from silence, as we've said, if you're going to have to prove that the filling of the Spirit always, always has to be inside the box of tongues, known, unknown, ecstatic, or known. You've got to fiddle with the text and the book of Acts, even, to come to that conclusion. So so what was it? What, What was the proof? Jesus said, here's how you'll know you're filled. It's that there's power that will be overcoming your weakness. There will be strength that you never had before. There will be abilities coming forth from through, through you by the power of my spirit that may be completely beyond anything your personality or your natural skill set could produce. But it says that Peter and John went down to Samaria to pray that they might receive the Holy Spirit Verse 16, look at that, Acts 8, 16, for he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I wonder how many of their folks in this room would say, I can go back to the time that I was baptized. I can go back to the time when I publicly professed my faith in Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I know I was baptized. And then somebody handed me a New Testament and said, read the Bible. And then they said, here's where the church meetings groups are going to be meeting, and you show up at that. And, and don't then you got you gotta quit your quit your your smoking and your drinking and running with girls that do all those things. That's a joke. That's a joke. And and that that's how that's how you'll know that you're saved. That's how you'll know. But nobody along the way may have ever said to you. The promise of the Father is for you to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus. Ask for the Father to fill you with the Spirit of Jesus. It's what Jesus said would happen, what he desired to do. It's what the Father said that he wanted to make available to everyone who would come to Christ and would cry out, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Lord, fill me with your spirit. You stop with baptism and an assignment to be in church the next week, and they hand you a New Testament, which we've done. We 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 often do that, and we don't need to stop doing that. We need to keep doing that. But, but, but But a printed copy of the New Testament and a new set of church habits 
were never intended to be the substitute for the promise of the Father. I mean, it, how are we going to understand the Bible if we don't have help from the author in the first place? Now, how are we going to have a want to, to want to hang out with church people, Christian people, who sometimes can be crooked as a dog's hind leg? You know that. How are we going to have the ability to look past that and try to get to the genuine unless there is some kind of new power to love, new power, fresh power to forgive, fresh power to want to learn to be taught? I want to ask you to just ask yourself before the Lord. Has that ever happened to you? Has that ever happened to you? I've received Jesus as Savior. I know if I died, I'd go to be with the Lord. I know I'd go to heaven. But remember in Acts 19, there were these disciples and more than disciples of Jesus who had been baptized, Paul would say, in the, they described in the baptism of John, which was a baptism about repentance. And Paul asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit? And here's their response. We hadn't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Now, folks, we can say, you know, that's kind of crazy. But in a practical sense, have you ever heard? And have you ever embraced? Yes, there is the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul, said, Paul would say, now, the Lord is the Spirit. Jesus is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So, Lord, your Spirit, I've received you as Savior and Lord. I want you to possess me. I want you to fill me. But sometimes if we're just handed a New Testament and told to be in church, we have this sense, that now I'm supposed to be copying all these things. I'm supposed to be doing all these things. And the bottom line is, some days it's chickens and some days it's feathers. Some days I wake up loving him. Other days I wake up just wondering, what am I thinking? Some days it's easy. Some days it's hard. Some days he seems close. Some days he seems far away on my own. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me. Lord, fill me with your spirit so I'll love, so I'll forgive, so I'll want the things that please you. This is, a, this is a new covenant that Hebrews 8 speaks about. Jesus said the new covenant in my blood. It's all the way through the message of Christ. That there would come a day. There will come a day, the Lord says, when I will write my law across the hearts of my people. That they won't be having external standards and external pushes and, and warnings. That that won't be necessary because I, by my spirit, will write my law across their heart. I'll change their want to. I'll fix their want to. I'll give them a want to that wants me. Has that ever happened to you? I'm talking to some folks. I know, have tasted of this. And maybe there's been a season when you did, you prayed, others prayed for you, and there was a sense of being filled with the Spirit. 
You say, well, I don't know. I don't understand how, how it can be that I could ever really be saved and not have the Spirit. You have been saved by the power of the Spirit. No doubt about it. But the things that you might now, from your theological perspective, be having an issue with, you need to ask the text. Why, why, didn't, why didn't Peter and John have a problem going down to the Samaritans? Why didn't Peter and John just say, look, you've already got it. You've repented. You've been baptized. You've got Jesus as your Savior. See ya. Form a church. Hang out together. Do the Lord's Supper. As soon as they heard what happened in Samaria, they got on their donkeys and they were riding or they were walking or they were heading down there because they wanted them to know you receive him as Savior. You receive his mercy. You receive his forgiveness. But you need to know him in his power. We want to come pray over you and pray for you that the power of the Lord's, the Father's promise will come upon you. He wills it to you. He wishes it for you. He desires it for you. It's a part of your inheritance. Claim it. A promise. A promise. But you know, a promise doesn't do you a lick of good unless you claim it. I could, I could write you a $2,000 check on our regular Frost Bank account. And if I give it to you, you better run to the bank quick to make sure that thing doesn't bounce, ricochet around like a golf ball. But if I wrote it, put your name on it, signed it, it was to come out of Shirley and my bank account, and I handed it to you, you would have a promise from me. But you could take that promise, you could fold that promise up, stick that in your pocket, you could take that promise and frame that thing on the wall. You can have a promise, and a promise not do you a lick of good until you claim it. Until you walk into that frost bank teller, show them that, my money please. My money, please, to which they're going to say, well, let me see if there's money to cover this, which they better do. My money, please. So what if in a reverent, excited, happy, free, joyful way, if there's any kind of sense of whether or not you've ever received whatever the Father meant by the promise being poured out, the promise of the Spirit being poured out, that you just gather yourself up and you find a quiet place and you just stand in His presence or kneel in His presence and say, Lord, your promise, please. Your promise, please. Your promise, please. Folks, listen. Listen. That's where the joy is. It's the joy of the Lord that is our strength, but it's the joy of the Lord that comes from his indwelling, his working spirit inside us. That's where the mercy to forgive comes from. That's where the patience to put up with comes from. That's where the boldness to bear witness of him and stand for what's right comes from. And it doesn't wear you out in the process because it's not your strength, it's his strength. And I'm telling you, some folks listen to me and let me say, well, that's fine for some folks. If you let this go 40,000 feet over your head, you don't even take a shot at that goose flying over. You, you, don't, you, you don't even think it's for you. 
then that promise won't do you a lick of good. But if there's somebody in this house, and I believe there are ones in this house, may have tasted of this before, but know what you need is a fresh filling of his spirit. That you don't have to beat him into the corner or reason with him. It's just, Lord, Lord, here I am. Fill me. Jesus, fill me. He's not bankrupt, and he's not cheap. He's not weak. He's not wounded. He's not under anything. He has all authority. He can give you what he chooses to give you, and nobody can stop him. Lord, my promise, please. My promise, please. promise, please. How will you know that you've received that promise? The next time you're short on strength, the next time you're short on mercy, when there's been a cloud of fear and a cloud of doubt and a cloud of confusion that's been working, and as he makes good on that promise some way or another, it makes no sense, but now there's hope rising up in your heart. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing by the power of the Holy Spirit who's within you. Nobody can do this for you, my brother, my sister. Have you received the promise of the Father. Lord, would you by your grace and by your tender but strong hands, will you woo us? Will you draw us? Will you win us? Would you put within us faith to be able to trust you that whatever this filling of the Spirit is, whatever it means to us individually, that if we wait on you, if we ask you, you will deliver on the promise. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.